Good morning. A reading from the book of Proverbs. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. This is the word of the Lord. Continuing our series through the book of Proverbs this morning, uh, and uh, and really ending it but on on wisdom, wisdom that we need to navigate and heal relationships. You know, having good, healthy, strong, vibrant relationships and friendships is vital for a good life. Proverbs and really throughout the Bible, we see not only the power that healthy relationships have but also the design of God and our need for healthy relationships. One of the things we see throughout the Bible is that we are created in the image of God, and God who is by nature a community in and of himself, as he's a trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, we are created in his image, and so we're created in the very image of community. And so relationship is something we are designed to need. We read throughout the Bible that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. We read that he who walks with the wise becomes wise. We read that iron sharpens iron. You see, it is relationships with other people that keep us safe and that have the potential to make us wise or fools, has the potential to sharpen us, and it is through relationships that we have fun, are comforted, are held up when we stumble, or that support us, that care for us, love us, serve us, and make us better. Your relationships have the power to shape and alter the course of your life. Your relationships have the power to shape and alter the course of your life. Relationships can alter your life in good or for bad. And so having the right relationships, the right friendships, right, is really important. The right influences really matter. And so when your parents told you, hey, I don't want you hanging out with so-and-so, and you thought they were just being mean or judgmental, they were actually trying to save you from becoming just like that person. But when you find the right friends, good, godly, wise friends who sharpen you, who care for you, who serve you, who love you, man, when you have those good, deep friendships, it is like an appetizer of heaven. It's like a foretaste of the bliss of heaven. And yet at the same time, they're like a ticking time bomb. Because no matter how good the friendship is, 
no matter how much you care for one another, no matter how godly you both are, one of you will do something to screw it up. We trust our heart with someone, and yet they do something to break it. They forgot you or something. They didn't consider their words carefully enough and said something harsh. They didn't text you back, and now you think they're mad, you think they're mad at you because they didn't text you back. Uh, and, and in turn, you get mad at them, and you get defensive. That happens all the time. They, from everything from little injustices to giant betrayals, we have all had relationships blow up in our face. Things go bad. Betrayals happen. And some of those we have repaired. And some of those have never been set right. Relationships that go bad sting deeply. It's like a knife in your heart. You feel betrayed. You get hurt. You're sad. You lash out in response to get payback because you're defensive. You run them down in your head and to others to protect yourself. You put up walls, you hurl insert, you'll, you'll hurl insults. It reminds me of the friendship turned feud between Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. The two fought in the Revolutionary War together, worked at a law practice together. They had differing opinions often, but were friends and colleagues until Aaron Burr ran for New York Senate against Hamilton's father-in-law and took his seat from him. That hurt led to other hurts where Hamilton used his influence to keep him, to keep Burr from a host of other political appointments and seats. It led to a 15-year rivalry where Hamilton is quoted saying, it was his religious duty to keep Burr from holding office. There were fights and insults continued over the years, and it came to a head when a guy named Charles Cooper published comments from Hamilton in the paper. And he quoted Hamilton saying that Burr was a dangerous man and not to be trusted. This was while Burr was vice president and, he, and his term was about to end and he was looking to become New York governor. Not only did Hamilton say that he was dangerous, not to be trusted, but he was quoted in the paper saying that there were still more despicable things that he could say about Burr. Burr, when he read this in the paper for everyone else to read, was enraged and immediately wrote to Hamilton asking him to disavow the statement and apologize. Hamilton refused. And so Burr called him to the dueling ground where they would confront one another and Burr would shoot Hamilton, killing him, forever making himself an outcast, hated, reviled, charged, Never go to jail, but to never hold office again and to lose all of the influence that this vice president and senator used to hold in America. The fight and insults and relational damage destroyed both of their lives. And it hurt their families and their friends in the process. Our relational fights and the betrayals might not lead us to the dueling ground in New Jersey because everything's legal in Jersey. But they still wreak havoc in our lives and destruction in our lives into those close to us. Not only are we made for and need relationships, when relationships go bad, it hurts deeply and destroys all the more. This is why Proverbs gives us wisdom for both the need for good relationships as well as wisdom for how to maintain and heal them when they inevitably go wrong. When things go wrong in a relationship, there is often a need for confrontation. But we either... Don't like confrontation, don't know how to have the confrontation, don't want to have the confrontation, 
or we, we just come up with some reason not to do it. When you know you have something that your friend needs to hear, something true, something good, something helpful, but also something you know is going to be really hard for them to hear, Sometimes you don't know if you should tell them now, tell them later, don't tell them all, only tell them if certain things happen and the stars align in a certain way. And often we would rather avoid it altogether and just push them away. But in the back of our minds, we know that pushing them away is actually the unloving and uncaring thing to do. And confronting them over the, whatever relational strife has happened, whatever you know, dysfunction they've had, we need to talk about it, but yet we're scared to. If relationships will make or break your life, we have to know how to confront and repair them. So what I want to do is show you four steps for confronting and healing relationships from the book of Proverbs. Now, confronting is going to come all the way at the end. I want to show you the three things you got to do before you confront. Number one, we must kill feelings of superiority. If we're going to heal our relationships, we have to kill all of the feelings that we have of being superior. You see, feeling superior to someone is both the beginning uh, of relationship dysfunction uh, and uh, uh, it is the, the thing that usually is going to cause the, the end of it. And it's the thing that's going to cause it not to get fixed. It's both the beginning of the end and the thing that prevents you from fixing it. We feel superior uh, to other people all of the time. We feel like we're better than them and that we're more moral than them, that we're smarter than them, we're more sensitive to their emotions than they were sensitive to our emotions. Superiority, you know superiority has taken root in your heart when you think this, I would have never done what they did. You know superiority has taken root in your heart when you think, I would have never done what they did to me. I would have never done what they did to me. Someone hurts you, wrongs you, upsets you, and in your anger, in your grief, you say, you think, you feel, how could they do that? I would have never done that to them. You think that because deep down... You think that because deep down you feel superior to them on some level. For the record, it's not true that you're superior to them. There is nothing, I want you to understand this, there is nothing that you are not capable of doing. Because you are a sinner by birth, there is nothing you are not capable of doing. You are capable of the worst crimes imaginable given the right circumstances and occasion. You're capable of anything, of a murder, of anything. And so this feeling of, I would have never done this thing to you, is this, is this superiority is the soil in which hatred grows. I want you to notice Proverbs 10, 12, and 10, 18. It says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And then the one who conceals hatred has lying lips. And Whoever utters slander is a fool. Superiority is the soil in which our hatred grows. Do you, do you remember what Jesus said? He said that the one who has anger toward a brother has committed murder in his heart. If you have anger toward someone, you've murdered them in your heart. Well, why? Why? Because, why? because murder is the fruit of anger. It is the logical outcome of anger. It is apart from the grace and restraint of God in your life, the outworking of your anger would always result in murder apart from God's restraining you. And so it is anger and hate that grows from the soil of superiority. And our hatred stirs up strife, the proverb says. And it is our hatred fueled by feeling superior that causes all the messes in our relationship. 
But hatred is different than you might think. Hatred in the Bible is different. You see, when we think of hatred, sometimes we think of just screaming rage. Wait, 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 wait. Flowing over in anger and rage and, and hatred. But it's not just fuming anger. No, hatred, the proverb says, conceals itself. You see, you can hate someone and you don't even realize it because it conceals itself. It hides itself from others and from ourselves. According to Proverbs 10, 18, we hate others and don't realize it. So let me show you how it comes out. In, in Proverbs 11, 12, and 13, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. But a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. You see, belittling others, slandering others, is how your hatred is exposed. You see, in the English word, the word hatred, we, we think of, of, of lashing out in anger and fuming in anger. But in Hebrew, the word hatred comes off a little different. In Hebrew, the word hatred is actually ill will. That you have ill will towards somebody. You want them to fall. You are happy at their unhappiness. I want bad for them. I want ill will toward them. And so when someone wrongs you and you're angry at them, you hate them, your ill will is exposed in that you think about them and you talk about them to others. You belittle them to others. You say, I can't believe that so-and-so would do such a thing. Can you believe that they would say that? Can you believe, did you hear what they did? Oh my gosh, you won't believe what they did. I can't imagine anyone would ever do something like that. Can you imagine someone doing that? I would never do that. And you belittle them and run them down and slander them to other people. And it is exposing the hatred or the ill will that is concealed in your heart. You say, I don't hate them. No, no, I pity them. I feel bad for them. Can you believe they would do something like that? I would never. And it is exposing the ill will and the hatred in your heart. And it's also exposing your desire for payback. Proverbs 24 says, do, uh, Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause. And do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. This is what happens when you get hurt, when you get wronged by someone else, and you want to pay them back. You, wanna, you want ill will toward them. You want to get even. And so you begin thinking, how am I going to get back at them? And you even begin to justify lying about them, belittling them, slandering them, and lying and giving false testimony against them. You justify it because you think in your heart, you know what? They may not have done this thing, but they deserve to get punished. They may not have done this thing, but they deserve retribution. They deserve to fall for what they've done to me. You see, they were the perpetrator. They were the one that wronged you. But the hate and the ill will toward them that you have actually ends up destroying you along the way. It actually turns you into the very thing that you hate. The very thing you're angry at, your hatred and ill will toward them, turns you into that very same person. Because now here you are wanting them to fall. You have ill will toward them. You want, you lying and justifying, giving false testimony against them because you want them to fall because they deserve it. You become the thing that you're mad about. You're blind to your hate. It conceals itself and you become it. In the old movie, The Last of the Mohicans, great movie, there's at the, at the end, uh, Hawkeye is denouncing the bad guy, Magwe, uh, to the chief. He's denouncing Magwe to the chief. And he says, Magwe's heart is so twisted by hate, he has become like that which twisted him. 
Mogwai's heart was so twisted by hate that he has become like that which twisted him. And if you allow ill will to take root in your heart, if you roll your eyes in your heart toward the person you're mad at, if you allow yourself to want to pay them back for the wrongs that they have done, it will turn you into the very thing that you hate. It will twist you into it. So not only for their sake, but for your sake, we must kill superiority and hatred and ill will and revenge so that we don't become this. The reason you stay angry, the reason you want payback, the reason you want them to be unhappy because of the way they've wronged you is because at its root, you feel your superiority. I would have never done that to them. That's the root. Proverbs eleven twelve says, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. In Hebrew, here's how it literally translates. A man without a heart looks down on his neighbor. That's how it literally word for word translates in Hebrew. It is a man without a heart that looks down on his neighbor. Now for us, in, in, in kind of modern society, we think of the heart as the, the center for emotions. But that's not how they viewed the heart in the ancient world. In the ancient world, the heart was the center of a person. You thought from your heart. Everything was right. It was the center of you. It was you. And so the point here is that the reason we are looking down on our neighbor, the reason we have ill will toward our neighbor, is because there is something wrong at the core of who you are. You don't have a heart. Your heart is broken. Have you ever noticed cartoonists? You know, cartoonists who write, like, political ads in, in the newspaper, or they're not always political, you know, they're making fun of somebody. What do they do? They take the thing that's like a bad trait of yours. They take a thing that's kind of messed up, you know, kind of a little funny about you. Maybe you got big ears or big nose or, you know, weird eyes or something. What do the cartoonists do? They make them giant, right? You've got kind of big ears already, and so the cartoonists, you've got Dumbo ears, Right? You've kind of got a really pointy nose. What do they do? They give you a Pinocchio nose. Right? They, they highlight your worst trait. They highlight your worst characteristics. They exaggerate the problem. And that is exactly what we do when we feel superior toward other people. When someone lied to us, all we can see is that they're a liar and nothing else. But yet when we lied to someone else, you know what we do? You know, it's complicated. It's complex. There's a lot of things going on. There's grace and complexity and nuance when we did the same thing that they did. But when they did, all we see is that they're a liar. For them, all we can see is the lie. But for us, we justify it. It's, compli- it's complicated. It's complex. We have a distorted view of ourselves and of them. We get grace, but we exaggerate their worst flaws. We make their lie this big. When this superiority grows and we do not kill it, not only do we uh, d- does this... Uh, uh, individually destroy us, individually hurt us, but it hurts those around us. Eventually we find ourselves saying, man, they're all like that. Haven't you seen this happen? Man, you, you know, uh, some Democrat does something stupid. Man, they're all like that. Some Republican does something stupid. They're all like that. Some person of a different color does something They're all like that. Don't you see this is where racism came from? This is where we take the the sins and the problems and the flaws of one person, we exaggerate them, and eventually we say, but they all do the same thing. They're all like that. Superiority is a heart problem that not only will destroy the way, make us into the thing we hate, not only will destroy our relationship with them, but it will eventually spread out to where we group this person and everyone that's like them, they're just like that too. So how do we kill superiority? 
I want to give you one practical point from the text. Uh, Proverbs eleven twelve. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. A man of understanding remains silent. When your enemies fall, when those who have hurt you fall, when those that have hurt you mess up, and when they get what they had coming, or when there is opportunity to talk about them in your own mind or to others and to run them down, instead you remain silent. You don't take the opportunities to run them down to your friends, to run them down in your mind. You don't take the opportunity to belittle them. Instead, you hold your tongue and you steady your mind and you keep your heart from being happy with their unhappiness. You stop being happy at their unhappiness. You keep your heart from finding joy and belittling them. And instead, you treat them with sympathy and respect. When you do that over and over and over and over again, resisting the temptation to be defensive and run them down, but instead remain silent when you have the opportunity, it will slowly free you from the feeling of superiority. Number two, at first we've got to stop feeling superior to other people to heal our relationships. Then the second thing is we must forgive them. We must forgive them. Forgiveness is really hard, but I think we often misunderstand what it is. Forgiveness is not pretending that the offense did not happen. It is not sweeping it under the rug. Forgiveness is paying the offense off. It is paying for the offense yourselves. Proverbs 24 says, Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. That last line, I will pay the man back, that is revenge. That is getting even. That is making the person pay for the wrong that they have done to you. They wronged me, and now I am extracting my payback by taking it out on them in some way, whether I'm going to punch him in the nose or I'm going to run him down to everybody or I'm going to get him fired or I'm going to do something to get even. You wronged me, we're going to get even. And so one of the ways we make others pay for their offenses against us as well is we dwell on and repeat over and over in our minds and to others in the form of gossip or in the form of prayer requests. We run them down to others, right? One of the ways we make them pay is I will never let go of this thing. I will keep replaying it in my mind, and I will keep telling other people about it, and I will run you down in my mind and to others. We make them pay by repeating the matter over and over again. But instead, we should follow the wisdom of Proverbs 17.9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. When you read cover an offense... You might think that means to cover it up. That forgiveness is to ignore an offense, to pretend like it didn't happen, to cover it up. But that's not what it means. To cover means more like when you go out to eat with a bunch of friends and uh, the bill comes and everybody pulls out their wallets and you say, no, it's okay, I'll cover it. No, it's okay, I'll cover it. That's what it means. I'll pay the bill. That is what forgiveness is. Instead of punching and retaliation, instead of repeating the offense in your mind, instead of running the person down, you pay the bill. You pay for the offense. You pay the price. Instead of lashing out, you hold it in and don't pay it back. 
Now, I want you to understand something. When you forgive somebody, you do not feel forgiveness at first. You don't feel it. You act it out first. And eventually you'll feel it. When you forgive somebody, it's not like this spiritual just release moment of butterflies in your tummy. You don't feel it. It's really hard. It's really hard. And it it hurts a little bit, right? Because you're paying for it. It hurts. And so you don't feel it. You act it out. You act like you've forgiven the person, and eventually you'll feel it. You act it out by not getting payback, by not repeating it in your mind because you're paying the debt yourself. Can I tell you one amazing power of forgiveness? If you forgive someone who wrongs you, even, even if, uh, you know, they did most of the wronging, you just did 10% of the wronging, like, and the way you responded. And yet, you come to them and, and ask them to forgive you for the 10% you did wrong. Do you know what that does? Like, that removes their defenses and their guard. Like, if this guy can ask me to forgive him, well, then I'll forgive you too. If we're going to heal our relationships... We've got to kill superiority and we have to forgive. We don't have to feel forgiveness right away. And also, let me just say, forgiveness also doesn't mean that everything goes back to normal. That doesn't mean you just, I'm going to completely trust you again. No, that's not what that means. It means you're not paying them back. What you want to pay them back. You're burying it yourself. Third, we must want their good. We must want their good. You know when you hear, hey, you've got to, you got to not hate people. You've got to have, not, have ill will for them. You've got to not be angry at them. You've got you to forgive them. We're tempted to hear those things that I've just said and say, okay, you know what, that's fine, I'll pull back. I'll pull back, I won't hate them, but I don't care about them. I don't want to see them, I don't want to have anything to do with them. You just say, I feel sorry for them. But when you do that, you're still punishing them in your mind. You're still feeling superiority, you still have ill will. There's no escape from ill will until you start to positively work for their good. Proverbs 25 says, if your enemy is hungry... Give him bread to eat. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. When you have borne the the brunt of the character flaws of other people and you have suffered because of their foolishness, don't you know that their issues and their problems are going to hurt them more in the long run than they've hurt you? And don't you know that their character flaws are going to hurt other people in the same way that it's hurt you? And so here's the question. Here's the question that you, have you gotten to this place with those people? Can you hurt more for them than you were hurt by them? Can you hurt more for them than you were hurt by them? You see, your heart will not rest and you will not be free from the curse of becoming the thing you hate until you have let go of your ill will by not feeling superior, by forgiving them, and then by working for their good. Paul in the New Testament picks up this same flow of thought, quoting this proverb in Romans 12 when he says, bless those who persecute you. And he says, do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. You are not healed from the wounds of the evil offense done against you until you are ready to pray for, want, and work for the good of the one who wronged you. Four, we must confront when necessary. 
You see, only when we've killed the feeling of superiority, only when we've forgiven somebody, and only when we've now at the place where I don't hate you and want you to fall anymore, but I actually want good for you. I actually want you to prosper. I actually want praying for, for, for your life to be better. Only then are we going to be able to confront them in a way that's helpful. Proverbs 27 says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. And faithful are the wounds of a friend. The wounds of a friend are faithful. But profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You see, until you've gotten rid of your hard heart, your ill will, you will not be able to confront a friend with any hope of actually changing them. Because when, when you confront them, they will be able to detect that you're not out here talking to me out of love and care for me. You're still trying to get justice. You're still trying to pay me back. You're, trying to, you're still trying to make me feel bad for what I did. And you just go and you beat them up. Only when you can come as a true friend with no superiority, having forgiven them and prayed and want and desire their good, will you be able to come and bring a hard word to hear, a hard truth to hear, that they'll actually hear it, that you'll actually come with the tone needed and the posture needed, and will they actually be able to hear you and change? When you take care of those things first, the things uh, in you first, when you come to the confrontation, you won't be there to win an argument. You won't be there to win and get some jabs in. You'll be there only for their good. And so you can speak hard truth to them in love and genuine care for them. Only when you take care of those things in you first will you be able to confront others when necessary. And then you will have the wisdom to know if and when it's necessary to confront them over something. You won't be chomping at the bit to confront them, to jab them, and you won't be terrified to confront them because you love them and you know they need it. And if you are the one being confronted, let me turn the tables real quick. If you are the one getting confronted by a friend, someone bringing some good, hard, but true word to you, listen to the wisdom of Proverbs 10, 17. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof, rejects correction, leads others astray. When you are confronted by a friend, that when they are coming to bring some difficult word to you, do, do you not think that that is uncomfortable for them? Like, they don't want to be there. They want to be anywhere else but there. Like, literally anywhere else. They'd rather be at the dentist than there. And everybody hates the dentist. But they'd rather be there. Why? Because they love you. Because they love you and they know you need to hear this hard word. They've mustered the courage, mustered the strength to have this hard, awkward conversation to point out this issue that you may not see because they love you. And if you are wise, you will heed their instruction. They may not be right, but you will listen with open ears and try to discern all that they have to say. But you will listen and learn and get on the path to wisdom in life. The wise person listens to the rebukes given in love. But how on earth are we supposed to do all this? Like, it seems utterly impossible to be on either end of this confrontation and to heal relationships that are broken. But listen, again, to Proverbs 24. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away in his anger from him. When you read this, 
It seems like it says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls because God is going to punish them anyway. That's how I think we can be tempted to read this. Don't rejoice when your enemy falls because God's going to take him out eventually. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, God's going to get him. But that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense when you read this verse together. You can't hope that they get what's coming to them in verse 18 when verse 17 says, don't hope for that. Don't hope that they fall. Don't hope that they get blown up. Rather, it's saying the Lord sees it and is displeased, not with the one who wrongs you, but rather the Lord is displeased when you are the one who is happy at your enemy falling. The Lord is angry at you now. When you have ill will towards someone who wronged you, God is just as angry at your hate and ill will as he is angry at the original wrongdoing against you. You see, when you hold a grudge, when you harbor ill will, you are putting yourself in the place of God. When you harbor ill will and you want to judge and bring condemnation and get paid back, you're putting yourself in the place of God. You are a servant acting like a Lord. You are like a five-year-old driving a car. You have no idea what you're doing. You are a servant who thinks he's Lord and you think you're the judge. You are wishing ill will on someone, but how do you know what they actually deserve? You do not know and you have not seen and you have not gone through and experienced or know what they've gone through. You don't know the complexities. All you know is you're hurt and you want justice. You want payback. You're a servant acting like the Lord. You see, the only way we have any hope of actually doing all that I've talked about today is when you understand the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. You see, the Old Testament talks a lot about God's wrath and justice and anger, right? His anger towards sinners, his wrath towards sinners and wrongdoers. But what does the New Testament tell us? It tells us that the Lord became a servant. That the Lord, we want to be servants, and we're servants who want to be Lord, but the Lord became a servant. He became a servant who comes to forgive us. Not, and he doesn't come paying, you know, putting our offense on us. He doesn't come making us pay, but rather he comes to cover the debt. He comes to pay the bill. He comes to take the wrong, the revenge, the justice, the anger of God. He takes it upon himself instead. He doesn't get even. He covers the bill. He took the price. You want to know the secret for not feeling superior to others. Look to Christ, the Lord, who became a servant to die for you. And when you see all that Jesus did for you, how in the world could you feel superior to others if you truly know your own sin and that the Lord God himself had to come and take care of it for you? How could you feel superior to anyone else when God had to do that for you? How do you forgive others when it is so hard because of how much wrong and hurt they've done to you? Look to Christ who forgave you an infinite amount more then you need to forgive the person who's wronged you. God has forgiven you of infinitely more than the person who has wronged you. See the massive price that God had to pay in order to forgive you. And when you see that truly, you'll be able to pay the smaller prices of the forgiveness and the wounds, or the, the hurt and the wounds of others. How do you overcome evil with good? Just look to Jesus. The one who was mocked and beaten and betrayed and scorned. And in the midst of all of that, he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We are the ones who were while sinners. Christ died for us. Christ was working for our good no matter how many times we wronged him. In the middle of wronging him, he was still working for our good. Look to Christ. Work for your good despite your failures. And you will then slowly be able to work for the good of others too. Let's pray. 
Father, we come to you this morning as people who have all experienced this problem, this problem of, of, of wounds and wrongs and hurts done by us and done to us. And Father, it is so easy. It is in our very nature to desire ill will toward them, to want them to fall, to want them to crash and burn, to want bad things to happen. That is easy. But Father, would you give us the strength to not feel superior to them, not feel better than them. Would you give us the strength to forgive them, to know, to know the depths of our own sin, and therefore there's no way we could feel superior because we know how broken we are and how much God had to pay to forgive us. And so I don't feel superior than anybody else. I'm capable of the worst heinous crimes, but by the grace of God restraining me. Give us a clear view of ourself because the beginning of wisdom, part of wisdom is, is knowing who I am, knowing myself. So give us the strength to not feel superior. Give us the strength to forgive like you forgave us. You forgave us an infinite amount, but we've got this little bitty debt that we've got to pay off because of this wrong that's been done to us. Help us to pay it. Help us to cover the bill. And help us to do good. Help us to want good. Help us to pray for the good and desire the good of those who have hurt us. Help us to not feel better for them and forgive them and to want for their good. Not want them to crash and burn, but want good for them. And Father, only then give us the courage and the strength and the bravery and the boldness to push through the awkwardness to confront people with love and good that they might hear a word of truth and be changed by it. To repent of it. To ask for forgiveness and for relationships to be set right. God, there's those of us in this room who right now have ill will toward other people, have a broken, restrained relationship with someone else. Would you give us the strength to go make it right, to go heal it, and in in so doing proclaim the gospel to all those who see it. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, maybe you're religious, maybe uh, you believe in God, but you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you've not had him pay for your sin. He's not forgiven you because you've been trying to work off your sin. You've been trying to be a better person. You've been trying to do this or that. But you've never just said, Jesus, forgive me and wipe me clean. Man, I'll tell you right now, he will. He'll forgive you of all your sins, past, present, and future. If you just come and ask him. Believe in what he's done for you and ask him. If that's you this morning, I'd love to pray with you and show you that. If you're here this morning and you want me to pray with you over the strength to forgive someone who's hurt you, I'd love to do that. If you need to pray for the strength to confront someone, I'd love to pray with you about that. I'd love to pray with you about anything this morning. So I'm going to stand over here to the left. I'd love to pray with you. God, give us the strength to respond the way we need. In Christ's name we pray. All people said, let's stand and sing.